Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we are going to continue today in our lovely series with Jeff Verdorn called Who Is This Jesus? I think we're up to about part 14, and we're going to talk about Matthew 24 today when Jesus is asked, what is the sign of your coming at the end of the age? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Jeff is a friend and a Bible teacher and you may hear him on uh, Guy Talk as well. Jeff, welcome. Good afternoon, Bill. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. This is a little bit of end times, or a lot of it end times, and I'm I'm excited to dig in. I love to teach on the end times. One of the issues that we are going to have right away with Matthew 24 is it's one of the places, one of the important places that we need to understand to paint a picture of what is God's plan for the end of the age. Uh, But like a giant puzzle, and I often describe prophecy, especially end times prophecy, as a big puzzle, we need to look at several of the pieces throughout Scripture in order to put Matthew 24 in context. So that's going to be one of our issues today is how much do we actually look at other places in Scripture uh, versus kind of sticking within Matthew 24, our our context for today. Um, Remember Matthew 24, we are in... Uh, a series called Who Is This Jesus? And right now we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus. So last time we looked at uh, the longest teachings of Jesus, and that was the Sermon on the Mount that we talked about last time and all the Beatitudes and so on. Well, Matthew 24 is the other longest teachings of Jesus. In In fact, it's his longest answer to any question that he is going to, that he has asked in all of Scripture. Wow! Um, so we're going to look at that question that you just cited it at the beginning of Matthew twenty-four, and we're going to see how Jesus answers this question: What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jeff, are you going to uh, hire me at a reasonable rate to do any reading of uh, Matthew twenty-four? Um, I think we're going to be skipping around some. Yes, I will have you read a couple passages. In fact, you could start with the introduction where in. Verses 1 through 3, and we could start there. I'd love to. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So first, let's look at this amazing prophecy, a near prophecy that Jesus gives when they are walking away from the temple down through the Kidron Valley up. They're going to go up to the Mount of Olives and back to uh, uh, for the evening, and then he'll come back into Jerusalem the next day, just like he had been doing all this week. This is the final week of Christ's life leading up to the crucifixion, which is just two days away. And he says to his disciples, do you see all these buildings, meaning the temple building? They are going to be destroyed, and not one stone will be left upon another. Now, 
Now, in context, if you would have seen the temple that was uh, standing in 32 AD when this is when Jesus spoke these words, it would have been an, an impressive building with massive stones that were used to construct this temple. And to predict that not one stone would be left upon another would have been almost unthinkable. Well, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, we know from history that about 40 years later, Rome seized the city of Jerusalem because of some uprisings, and the Roman general Titus in his seas uh, finally broke through the siege of the city, took over Jerusalem, and the troops destroyed the temple. They actually set fire to the temple and parts of the temple structure, and much of the gold that was inlaid in some of the walls of the temple melted and went down into the cracks of the rocks. And as history records, Titus ordered every stone to be raised off that building and and to get at the gold that had melted. And that is exactly what happened. And to this day, just down from the Western Wailing Wall, now you have to understand the architecture of the Temple Mount area, the Western Wailing Wall was part of the foundation wall that made up the Temple Mount proper. The temple sat on top of this wall. So this this foundation wall goes most of the way, all the way around the Temple Mount area that the temple sat upon. Well, if you go to Jerusalem and visit the Western Wailing Wall and just to the south of that, you will actually see today large piles of stone mm. that are still there almost 2,000 years later that the Romans pried off, knocking down the temple and threw off of the Temple Mount. And they're wow. still there today. Fantastic. So he says, destroy this temple, that not one stone will be left upon another. And that's exactly what happened. So after he tells this to his disciples, this whole building is going to be destroyed. They ask Jesus this question. Tell us then, number one, when will this happen? And number two, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Mm -hmm. So this is really a two-part question. Their first part of the question is, well, tell us, Jesus, when is this going to happen? When will the temple be destroyed and every stone be thrown off another? Well, Jesus actually does not answer that question in Matthew 24 anywhere. But we know the answer to that question because it's now historical for us, right? So the answer to the first part of the question in Matthew 24 is, when will this happen? 70 AD. That's when the temple will be destroyed. What he does answer in the rest of the chapter is the second part of that question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, there's two truths that we see right away, even in this question, that Jesus is going to come back one day, and his disciples understood that, and this age is going to come to an end. And it comes to an end at Jesus' second coming. And really quick, what's the end of the age? What's the next age then? I'm that so is glad to come? you're addressing that, Jeff, because I was going to ask you that very question. Oh, good. So, what's the next age? Well, Jesus returns, and what does he establish? His kingdom. Mm -hmm. The next age is the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of Christ on earth for a thousand years, Revelation tells us, and he will reign from Jerusalem in a rebuilt temple, by the way. Ezekiel actually describes that temple that will be rebuilt. 
we as the body of Christ will rule and reign with him in our glorified bodies. We'll get to that later. And uh, and that's the next age. So this age is going to come to an end with a dramatic period of time, a seven-year period of time known as the tribulation, which we're going to talk about. This whole context of this chapter is a future seven-year tribulation that we'll talk about in just a minute. But it concludes with the second coming of Christ and his establishing the next age, his kingdom age, the millennial age, which is to come. That's why we we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not happening yet. You open up the newspapers, you look around the world, this is not the kingdom of God yet. It is yet future. Mm-hmm. So that's the next age. So his question is, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And that is what Jesus is going to answer. That's what we're going to look at today. I love it. Jeff Redorn is my guest, and we are back in our series on who is this Jesus. I believe we're up to part 14, and we're focusing today, if you have your Bibles open, to Matthew chapter 24 and the sign of the end times. And uh, Jeff, let's pick it up from there. So if we are looking at signs for the end of the age and for Jesus' coming— I want to point out to all those Christians that have an understanding um, of the rapture, the tribulation, uh, God's plan for the end of the age, that the rapture is actually not in view in this chapter. What Jesus is going to give us are not signs for the rapture of the church, which is the First Thessalonians 4 rapture when we are caught up together with him in the clouds, and there we will be with the Lord forever. That's the rapture. We're caught up to him. This... These, in this chapter, are the disciples asking, what are the signs of your coming, the second coming, when Jesus is going to come down from heaven back to earth, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, as Zechariah says, and he will begin his rule and reign. So the context that we need to establish right away is that all the signs that we are going to read in Matthew 24 are signs for his second coming not the rapture of the church. That's very important to establish this because many in the church want to take some of the stuff that's written in Matthew 24 and apply it to today right now and say, see, these are all signs for the impending rapture of the church, which uh, which is when we are caught up together with him in the clouds. And they, it's just not. These are signs for his second coming. And we'll we'll see that clear as we make links to Matthew 24 to the book of Revelation, which is a much more of the details that happen during this future seven-year tribulation period that is to come on, on upon the earth. One of the ways, by the way, this is another big piece of the puzzle, one of the ways that we know that there is a future seven-year tribulation is actually established all the way back in Daniel chapter 9. God gives Israel a judgment a judgment of 70 weeks or 77s of judgment. And when we understand that judgment properly, we see that there is a future seven-year period that is going to come upon the earth that happens after the destruction of Jerusalem. So it has to happen after 70 AD, which I believe is still future. This period of seven years is commonly called in the church the tribulation period. And so one of the things that we have to establish, and we don't have time to go to Matthew or to Daniel 9 and, and to really dig into this amazing prophecy, 
is that there is a future seven-year period that's coming upon the world. So that's established way back in Daniel 9. Jesus is going to actually pick up upon that prophecy and give us some more of the details about the events that happen during the seven-year period of time. And then the book of Revelation comes along a number of decades later when John gets his vision, and he gives us even more details about what's going to happen in this seven-year period. So let's establish in this first segment that there is a future seven-year period that's coming upon the world, and Jesus is going to tell us what that what's included in that seven-year period. That's awesome, Jeff. And remember that Jesus loves the little children, and if you are contemplating becoming a champion and sponsoring a child— We're going to have our One Child campaign coming up. You should go see what's happening at MyFaithRadio.com. It's amazing. We're going to take a little break. We come back, continue our series on Who Is This Jesus with Jeff Verdorn. We'll be right back. Please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible gift to Faith Radio before the year ends. You can give now by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or join the support team at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you. The way they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you never win. You never win. But the voice of truth Welcome back to the show. I hope you have your Bible open to Matthew 24. I hope there's a pad of notepaper and a pencil in your hand. That is the best way to study Scripture. I'm doing it today with my friend Jeff Verdorn. We're in Matthew chapter 24 as we continue our series called Who Is This Jesus? And Jeff, the uh, the end time study is always a fascinating one. I think you want to hire me again to do some reading. Is that correct? I do. I, I, and the end times is when we live... With the end in mind, I think it helps us to live by more faith today, right now. Amen. I love that. Let me read in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 9. (laughs) Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. So Jesus says to look for four things, first off here, prior to his second coming. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So we see that he says, watch out for deceivers, watch out for wars and rumors of wars and nation rising up against nation. Then he talks about earthquakes and famines in various places. And then he says, then you'll be handed over and put to death. Remember, the you here is Israel. He's speaking to Israel. He's he's speaking to his disciples specifically, but he's speaking to the nation of Israel more broadly. Remember, the church does not exist yet in any of the Gospels. The church does not start until Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit comes uh, down from heaven and the church age begins. So we always have to remind 
ourselves that when we are reading the words of red, Jesus came to the Jews, he came under the law, he taught to the Jews who were under the law, he died under the law, and that the age of grace in the church age doesn't start until the Holy Spirit comes. So remember that. So when it says, you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death, I believe he's talking about the nation of Israel, Israel there. So the four things he says to look for are deceivers, wars, famines, and death. Well, remember, Daniel 9 told us that there is yet a future seven-year period. Jesus is giving us some more details about this future tribulation period, and then the book of Revelation gives us even more detail. Well, if we compare the book of Revelation to what Jesus just said to look out for, we get to Revelation chapter 6, and there are these seven seal judgments that are described in the book of Revelation. There's actually three sets of seven judgments. We won't get into them all, but there's seven seal judgments, there's seven trumpet judgments, and there's seven bowl judgments. I want to focus on the seal judgments as it relates to Matthew 24, because the first four seals that are opened up are described in Revelation chapter 6 as riders on horses. And so we have four riders on four different colored horses. These are often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And if you have ever seen this imagery, maybe in a movie or in a book or popular culture someplace, they're actually used often, and they actually come from the Bible, from the book of Revelation, but are used all the time in movies and stuff of impending doom, right? Mm -hmm. The four horsemen are riding. Well, what are the four horsemen? The first seal is a white horse and whose rider is holding a bow, and he is bent on conquest. Well, long story short, we learn that this rider is the Antichrist, a deceiver. Jesus said to look for deceivers. Revelation tells us that one is going to come upon the scene during the seven-year period. He is the Antichrist. Hmm. The second thing Jesus said to look for was wars and rumors of wars and nation rising up against nation. Well, guess what the second seal is? I heard the living creatures and another horse came, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. And men slayed each other and so on. Well, what is that? Men slaying each other, taking peace from earth? That's wars. Jesus said the second thing to look for was war and rumors of war and nation rising up against nation. Here the second seal is war. The third thing Jesus said to look for was famine. And we turn to the third seal, and John says, Come and look, and before me was a black horse, and the rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And then I heard what sounded like a voice saying, with the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wage. Well, if a quart of wheat is an entire day's wage, food has obviously gotten very expensive during this tribulation period, and I'm assuming that there is therefore going to be famine in various places, just as Jesus said. Oh, the third seal. And then Jesus said, you will be handed over and put to death. Well, what's the fourth seal in the book of Revelation? And the lamb opened the fourth seal, and I heard his voice of the four living creatures say, come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. And its rider was named Death, 
and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague. Well, there's death. That's the fourth seal. Those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse described in Revelation chapter 6. And that's exactly what Jesus said to look for in Matthew 24. So these are events that are future, that will occur during the tribulation period as the start of this seven-year period. Now, just a reminder at this point, because this is important. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, I believe that you are going to be raptured out before any of these events happen. We've discussed uh, in programs past the biblical reasons why I think the rapture has to be before this seven-year period of time. Um, And so we're not going to get into that today. But one of the questions I get often when I teach the end times, I typically ask, what are your expectations for this study? And someone will always ask a question like, well, what, what do you say to someone who is fearful of this end times that's going to come upon the world? I've read so much about it and it sounds scary. And I said, well, then if you're a Christian, you don't really understand the end times because this time of judgment that God is bringing upon the earth is not for the church. It's not for the believers. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He keeps us from the time of wrath that is going to come upon the whole world. We are raptured out prior to this seven-year period. So this seven-year period is going to come on Israel. In fact, it's their final week or seven of judgment. This is called the time of Jacob's trouble. This is God's final week of judgment on Israel and upon an unbelieving world. Um, so we we can pick that up in various passages in, in Revelation and in Thessalonians and so on, that this is a time of trouble coming upon the world. And Jeff, it's probably uh, fair to bring up now that there are going to be many people listening that will have a different opinion and a different interpretation of the rapture and the time of return of Jesus and all of this. So I want to be, you know, obviously uh, super respectful of everybody and their positions. And you're, you have done a beautiful job in past shows of positioning um, a pre-trib rapture, which has solid biblical evidence mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, that's a very good reminder. There is no shortage of opinions when it comes to uh, what does the book of Revelation mean and how do we interpret it and what is God's plan for the end of the age. Um, I, I do. I, I Having taught this for 20 years, I, I am locked into a certain view because I believe it's the view that best fits all of Scripture. And whenever we come up with a a doctrine or a view of any issue, any theological issue, we got to make sure we're reconciling all of the various passages that are relevant to that particular view. And I believe that a sequence of events of the coming end of the age of a rapture, a seven-year tribulation, followed by the second coming of Christ when he comes to earth uh, with all of his saints, the armies of heaven were following him uh, in Revelation 19, and then a 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth, uh, concluding with a new heaven and new earth, which is the final state that is described at the end of the book of Revelation. I believe that timeline is fits all of Scripture uh, by far the best. So I, I obviously default to that view. Yeah, and I I appreciate that, Jeff. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We are continuing a series called Who Is This Jesus? We're in part 14, and today, if you just joined us, we're focusing on on Matthew 
24, talking about end times. We'll take a short break and be right back. So glad to be back with Jeff Ferdorn. We're continuing our study on who is this Jesus. We are in Matthew chapter 24. And to get things started, I would like to uh, read verse 13 and verse 14. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So the end coming means the second coming of Christ. It's the question at the start of the chapter. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And, and, and Jesus says the end will come after the gospel is preached to the whole world. Now, I know much of the church wants to say that we need to preach the gospel to the whole world before the rapture can occur. But in reality, I believe the entire context, like we've been talking about, Matthew 24 is about the tribulation period. So it's during the tribulation that the gospel will be preached to the whole world, and then the end, the second coming, will come. So this does not mean, obviously, that the church does not have a responsibility to preach the gospel to the whole world. We do, but it's not necessary for us to preach to Every single person in the world before the rapture happens, God promises that the gospel will be preached to the whole world before his second coming comes. And in fact, in Revelation, we see an angel flying in, in midheaven with the eternal gospel to preach that Revelation says is preached to the whole world. So we know that's going to happen. Uh, but just like I said, that doesn't mean the church doesn't need to spread the gospel today. That's the great commission that he's given us to go preach the gospel. God wants people saved today. He wants people saved tomorrow, and he wants people saved during the tribulation period. By the way, this is actually one of the other different views about the end times. There are some believe that there will be nobody who is saved during this tribulation period. And I look at Scripture, and I see exactly the opposite. Revelation in chapter 7 says that John at one point sees a great multitude in heaven that has come out of the great tribulation. So clearly, many, many people are going to be saved during this time of tribulation that comes upon the world. And I think that's very good news. Hmm. Um, How would some scholars or theologians miss that? Well, or or see it differently, I should yeah, say. There's, there's, They're not missing anything, maybe. There's a broad uh, swath of the church that kind of spiritualizes all of the events of uh, Revelation and Matthew 24 and basically say these are all not actual literal events that are going to come upon the earth, but are just spiritualized d- descriptions of, generally speaking, uh, the battle of good versus evil that we experience uh, every day, all week, every year, every decade. Um, so you have to spiritualize the text and decide that these aren't actual events that are coming upon the world. But as we're going to see in actually in the next verse— um, I believe not only did Daniel tell us these events are going to be real, Jesus tells these 
tells us these events are going to be real. And and the next event, which is this abomination that is set up in the temple of God, uh, is actually talked about by Paul and Thessalonians, and we, we see the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. So hmm. you have to spiritualize a lot of Scripture to spiritualize these events that are described. So let me read this actual event. Verse 15 then says, Jesus says, So when you see, so this is during the tribulation period, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus is picking up on Daniel 9 that I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. of this future seven-year period in which Daniel saw in the middle of that seven-year period there was going to be abomination of desolation. Jesus picks up on that and says, when you see that event happening, in other words, this real, actual, future event, Israel, you better flee from Judea. And Revelation actually tells us that's exactly what Israel is going to do. When the Antichrist sets himself up, as Paul describes in Thessalonians, sets himself up in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God, he is going to go after the nation of Israel, and they're going to have to flee from their own country. Mm -hmm. That's the second half of the tribulation. So we now know where we are in the seven-year period. We're at the midpoint when the abomination is set up. All right, Jeff, I I just gathered 25 uh, second graders. They're here in the green room, and they would like you (laughs) to once again explain the abomination of desolation to them. So Thessalonians, I like the description of this event in Thessalonians because... Paul says that the Antichrist who is to come is going to set himself up in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Okay. We actually see this in history. The Caesars, for example, demanded to be worshipped as God. Mm. They they weren't the first and they won't be the last political leader who demands that they basically are a deity, that they are a God. And sure enough— the final, the worst ruler of the world who's going to come, this Antichrist, is also going to demand that people set uh, worship him as God. And so he sets up some kind of abomination uh, in the rebuilt temple of God. One of the aspects here I didn't mention is that means there's going to be a temple rebuilt on the Temple Mount. And Israel today is actually ready to rebuild that temple. They have all the components. They have the menorah. They have the, the, the priests have been trained. They have the garments. They have the red heifer, which is required to use some of the ashes of a red heifer for purification rites uh, to set up the, the temple. They are ready to build that temple today. Now, if they tried, it would probably be World War III, you know, against the, the Arab nations, the Muslim nations who control, actually control the Temple Mount area. Uh, but they're ready today. And Scripture says that that temple will be rebuilt because the Antichrist is going to set up this abomination in a rebuilt temple one day. Mm. That's very helpful. And the room of second graders appreciate that. And I just spilled my juice box, so let's uh, move on. <laughs> so, and and by the way, these are actual literal events that are going to come upon the world. So, We know from Daniel that at this point, we are at the midpoint now of this seven-year tribulation period, and God, Jesus, then says in verse 21, for after Israel flees, for then there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never 
to be equaled again. This time, specifically the second half of the tribulation period, is going to be the worst time that the world has ever seen. And if you read about some of the details in the book of Revelation, specifically the bold judgments Mm -hmm. that come from God on the world, this is going to be a terrible time that the world is going to see, such a time that it's never seen. Now, there are some in Christianity who believe that all of these events, some spiritualize all these things. There's another group that say all these events are historical. They're past it's, it's generally falls under the umbrella that theologians call preterism, that these things have already all happened. There's no future tribulation. There's no future antichrist. There's no future seven-year period. Uh, all these events are actually historical. They've already been fulfilled, generally speaking, in and around 70 AD and the destruction of the temple that we talked about. That was a very bad time for Israel. Many, many people died uh, at those sieges of Rome on Israel and specifically on Jerusalem. And then, of course, Israel was scattered out to the whole Roman world over the next hundred years after that as well. So very bad time. But the worst time the world has ever seen and will never see again? I don't think so. I don't either. We've had world wars, 60 million people dead in World Mm -hmm. War II alone. We've had, you know, communism, Mao Zedong killed 80 million of his own people in famines. We've had potato famines. We've had the Black Plague. We've had terrible times that the world has seen since then. Um, So I think just that one verse proves that the events surrounding 70 AD were not a fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about. These are future events that are going to come upon the world, and it's going to be the worst time the world has ever seen. All right. Now we start getting closer to the end of Matthew 24, And we see this. Jesus says, I'm going to skip down to verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming, the second coming, of the Son of Man be. He says this, immediately after the distress of those days, in other words, at the end of this tribulation period, he says the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give give its light, The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Uh, That sounds like a pretty dramatic day, doesn't it? I can't even imagine what that would be like. Well, I don't think anybody can. This is actually a day that God has been telling us about quite a bit. We'll get to that in just a minute. But remember, the sun will be darkened. The moon does not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. You're not going to miss this day. The second coming of Christ is not going to be missed by anybody. It goes on to say in verse 30, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels out with a loud trumpet call and he will gather his elect. That's Israel, by the way. They are the elect that he is talking about. The church doesn't exist yet, remember. And he is going to gather the remnant of Israel, and they are going to be saved. But I want to turn, because there's another description of this day, when the sun and the moon and the stars and Jesus uh, go black and Jesus comes to earth. And that's his second coming described at the end of the book of Revelation, which is Revelation 19. Um, Will you read this one? Revelation 19, and read verse 
starting in verse 11 and, and go through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Mm, Amen. So that is a description of Jesus coming back at his second coming. He doesn't come as a baby this time, does he? No, he sure doesn't. He comes as a conquering king riding on a horse to establish his kingdom. Uh, The events that follow, by the way, are Armageddon when he destroys the armies of the world. And uh, once he defeats all the armies, uh, he establishes his kingdom Mm. after his second coming. Well, Jeff, that that passage has left me a little breathless. So I think what I'll do is take a short break and catch my breath, and we'll come back and conclude our our time of teaching with Jeff Verdorn. We are studying Matthew 24, and we will be right back in just a minute. so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. This has been a fast hour as we are studying Matthew 24 with Jeff Verdorn, continuing our series on who is this Jesus. And Jeff, just the time we have remaining, let's talk about time and timing. Hmm. That seems to be a very critical point in this passage. It is. So we just finished the description of Jesus coming back. We compared that to the Revelation 19 description of Jesus coming back. The world is not going to miss this day. Many have claimed that they were the, are the returned Jesus Christ. And it's like, well, wait a minute here. I didn't see the sun turn black or the moon turn blood or all the skies from heaven fall from the ground. And, and I didn't see Jesus coming on the clouds with power and great glory. So you must not be the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's still future. And sure enough, the world's not going to miss this, this day. So, But when he comes... There's, a, there's an interesting timing question at the end of Matthew 24 that relates to a fig tree, and some want to turn the fig tree and describe that as being Israel, being reborn, which actually happened in, in uh, 1948 is when Israel uh, became a nation again in May 14, 1948, and or when Israel recaptured the old city of Jerusalem, which happened in 1967 at the 67 War. And let's read the passage first, and then we'll get into some of the details. I don't want to interrupt your rhythm here, but you did 
just say a couple of things that many listeners are going to go, what did he just mean by Israel 1948, May something? What was, what was that about? So we, uh, historically, Israel was not in the land of Israel for a couple thousand years, actually after the temple was destroyed. Rome okay. got tired of Israel being in their land and rebelling against them, that they scattered Israel throughout their Roman world. That's what's known as the diaspora, the dispersion. And Israel lived outside of its land, for the most part, uh, for almost 2,000 years until, uh, actually after the First World War, uh, when, when Britain controlled the land of Palestine. It was called Palestine at the time. And they said, we should make a homeland for the Jews again. And then after World War II, uh, is when it actually happened. So after the Holocaust uh, in Germany and six million Jews were killed at the hands of Hitler, Israel finally said, yes, we are going to go back to our homeland. That's the only place that we're going to be safe. And on May 14th, 1948, Israel was established as a nation and uh, approved by the UN, uh, UN proclamation. And they became a nation again for the first time since the first century, so almost 2,000 years. So May 14, 1948 is a nation that was born in a day, and Israel was. This, by the way, is the dry bones of Ezekiel coming back and being regathered. Israel is being formed again, and we are seeing the fulfillment of these prophecies before our very eyes in the last 50-plus years. And, and, and I mentioned 1967. It was then, at, once they formed as a nation in 1948, they were immediately attacked but they won and survived and stayed on as a nation. But then they were attacked again in 1967, and that is when Israel regained control of the city of Jerusalem and the old city, the city of David and the Temple Mount area. Um, so thank, those, thank you for that. Yep. That's helpful. So some see those events as the fig tree blossoming, which I want to have you read right now in verses 33, 34. And I'm going to show you, and point out why that isn't the case. All right, verses 33 and 30. Oh, let's start from 32. 32, we're in Matthew 24, starting in 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So we are going to define who this generation is. And this is debated amongst Christians. I, I get that. But let's see what Jesus is saying there. He just described all these events that are going to occur during the seven-year tribulation period. He then says at the end of that time, he is going to return. He's going to come back. And the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And the Son of Man will come on the clouds with power and great glory. And now he says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. When you see it blossoming, what's the next season? When you see buds on the trees, you know that summer is near, right at the door, right? We all know that. Mm -hmm. that that's one of these kind of does, you know, of course. That is an obvious sign. And he's saying, even so, verse 33, when you see all these things, all these things that he just described in Matthew 24, you know that it is near. Well, what is it? The second coming 
and the end of the age. Remember the question at the very beginning of the chapter. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I just gave you all the signs to look for, culminating with the sun and the moon and the stars and then the sign of the Son of Man coming on power and great glory. All these things you know that it, the second coming, is near. It's right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, preterists like to argue that this generation is the generation that hears Jesus say all these things. And I say, no, these events didn't happen in 70 AD. This generation is the generation that doesn't hear these things, as Jesus spoke, but sees these things actually happen and come upon the earth. Hmm. So it's the generation that lives through the seven-year tribulation period that sees these things. And these things must happen, right? He says in verse 34, uh, and this generation will not certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Because this, this time is only seven, year, seven years long. Anybody who's living during that seven-year period, if they survive, obviously many people die during this time, will see it happen the second coming of Christ. That generation that sees these things will not pass away. That is what this generation is at the end of Matthew 24. Now, I'll point out that one last thing that you have probably heard, or many of our listeners have probably heard, that the fig tree in this passage actually represents Israel, and Israel was born in 1948. They believe that that was the quote-unquote fig tree blossoming, and therefore the end must come within a generation of that event. Well, in the Bible, what's a generation? This is actually a question because there's actually three different definitions of a generation in Scripture. Numbers says that a generation is 40 years. Psalm says that a generation is 70 years, and Genesis actually says that a generation is 100 years. So we actually don't know how long a generation is. But if we go from 1948 when Israel became a nation, and we add the first definition, that's 1988. Well, there happened to have been a book that was written that came out at that time, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1988. And it actually sold millions of copies. But it never, the end didn't come, did it? He actually rewrote the book in 1989 and said 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1989. That one didn't sell quite as many copies, Mm -hmm. by the way. But people have been playing the same game ever since. So if you add 70 years to 1948, you get 2018, which means the rapture would have happened around 2011. And sure enough, we had a number of people, uh, including a guy by the name of Harold Camping, saying that the rapture was going to happen in 2011, and it didn't happen. Um some people said that the, actually the fig tree blossoming is Jerusalem being recaptured. So you add 40 years onto 67, and you get a 2007 second coming and a 2000 rapture. Were there a lot of people calling for the rapture in the year 2000? Yes, there mm-hmm. was at the end of the millennium, and so on. We cannot set a date for the rapture. We cannot set a timing for the rapture. Scripture makes it clear that it's going to come at an unannounced time, and there's an immediacy to the rapture that it can happen at any moment. We, as believers, are just to be ready. We are to have our eyes fixed on heaven, 
awaiting the return of our Lord, awaiting for that voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God in that day that we will be called up together with him in the clouds, and there we will be with him forever. But that has not stopped person after person after person trying to predict the end of the age and the timing for the end of the age. I have a whole list of them. It's 20 pages long, and many people have tried to predict when the end would come. And guess what? They have been all wrong. Mm. But itching ears want to hear. They do want to hear. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was teaching this class, my end times class, in 2012, December 21st, 2012. And if you remember, the Mayan calendar said that the world was going to come to an end. And I never understood why the church cared what Mayan calendar says when they have the word of God in front of them. Uh, but I actually showed the forecast for that week. And uh, uh, it said, you know, Wednesday, 40 degrees, Thursday, 45 degrees, Friday, the 21st, 1,250 degrees and fire and brimstone, right? <laughs> and then, of course, the next day yeah. didn't have a forecast, right? right? Because the world had ended, yeah, right? There's no forecast after mm. that. So uh, it hasn't stopped many of people to try to set a day. I don't know if you remember, for example, the four blood moons. I do, yeah. The church made a, many in the church made a big deal about that. Uh, there is no prophecy that four blood moons would predict the future coming of Christ. There's one blood moon at the end of the tribulation period. Mm -hmm. uh, so people have tried to use lots of different things to say we are in the time of the end, but it's going to come soon. Jesus says, "My, re I'm coming soon. That Greek word is teku. Mm -hmm. It means suddenly, without warning. Suddenly he will return as a thief in the night. We just need to believe in him and in believing in him, be ready for that day. Jeff, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for this teaching. That wraps up our show. I just want to leave you with Philippians 4.8. Once again, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.